Gordon, we start, as promised, uh, with what happened in uh, the High Court in Pretoria, uh, where the court has suspended the Public Protector's remedial action against Public Enterprise Minister Praveen Gordon pending a judicial review. Now, Judge Sulet Potrel says it defies all logic to implement the remedial action as while the report is being taken on judicial review. And here's Judge Sulet Potrel reading the judgment. Suspension of a remedial order does not threaten the entrenched trust of the PP. The separation of power, powers home on the balance of convenience favours Gordon. Gordon will, if the suspension is not granted in the review, simply upheld, be seriously prejudiced. It defies all logic to proceed with the execution of the remedial action when the report as the basis for the remedial action is the subject of judicial review. A mere suspension of a remedial order does not weaken the PP's office. Every person under the Constitution has a right to review a port. This includes a minister. The mere fact that the minister does so does not weaken the PP's powers. The fact that the president is abiding the decision and also raises an issue to be decided in the review application pertaining to what disciplinary steps a president can take a minister is a valid point and in fact will serve as guidance to the PP if and when another minister is the subject of a PP report. Thus, opposing the censure in Part A was baseless, with both the EFF and the PP and our office not seriously attacking the requirements necessary for an interim interdict, and accordingly, as unsuccessful litigants, they should carry the cost. I accordingly make the following order. Part A of this application is dealt with as one of urgency. The applicant's to failure to comply with this rules, the rules of this court is condoned. The remedial orders in paragraph 8 of the Public Protectors Report 36 of 2010, of 29-20 of 5 July 2019 are suspended pending the final determination of Part B of this application. The Public Protector or the Office of the Public Protector are interdicted from enforcing the remedial orders pending the final determination of Part B. The first, second and tenth respondents jointly and severally, to pay the applicants' eight respondents and nine respondents' costs, which costs will include the costs consequent upon the employment of two counsel. Judge Potrell also said that Godan had presented a prima facie right for the remedial actions as Mkwebane did not submit anything regarding her jurisdiction in investigating the rogue unit, considering how old the matter is. The first ground of review is that the PP has no jurisdiction in that she is barred to entertain the complaints under Section 6 in bracket 9. Section 6 in bracket 9 of the PP Act reads as follows. Except where the public protector in special circumstances within his or her discretion so permits, a complaint or matter referred to the public protector shall not be entertained unless it is reported to the public protector within two years of the occurrence of the incident or matter concerned. As the complaints relating to Gordon flows from a meeting in 2010 and the establishment of an investigative unit in 2007, the public protector was not entitled to entertain these complaints. In the report, paragraph 3.5, the public protector regurgitates the factors setting out that could constitute special circumstances. Surprisingly, no factors are set out as to what she considered 
and why in Kazu it constituted special circumstances. In view of the provisions of this section and the fact that the complaints emanate from a decade ago, one would expect the public protector to set out why she had jurisdiction to entertain this claim. It is thus argued that on the report itself, without establishing jurisdiction, Gordon has a prima facie right on review. In the public protector's answering affidavit, she boldly avers that all the review grounds are with out merit and are denied. In argument, counsel for the PP did not address this jurisdiction issue at all. The EFF in the papers justify the jurisdiction of the PP in that Gordon testified before the Nugent and Zonder commissions about this rogue unit without a complaint about the events occurring many years ago. It was argued that this argument is unmeritorious and is rejected. The commissions had terms of reference, whereas the PP had to execute her duty in terms of the PP Act. In terms of Section 6 in bracket 9, the PP shall not entertain complaints after two years unless special circumstances exist. It is tried that the PP would have to identify these special circumstances, not the EFF. That was Judge Sulet Potterell delivering her judgment. Reacting to the judgment by the High Court in Pretoria, Public Protector Busisiwem Kwebane spokesperson Opa Sekhalwe said that they are disappointed that the court found that the function of the state security and the NPA can be suspended even though the state organs do not have any impact on the Public Enterprises Minister's application. The rule of conduct in terms of Section 181, uh, Subsection 3 of the Constitution, uh, organs of state have a duty to assist and protect uh, Chapter 9 institutions uh, and to ensure that such institutions are independent, impartial, and that uh, they are treated, treated with dignity as well as that they are e- effective in the execution of their functions. So we are uh, disappointed that this court found that uh, uh, you know that kind of language in the minister's application Uh, was irrelevant for this purpose. We disagree with that. We think it was relevant uh, because it applies to both Part A and Part B of the Minister's uh, papers. But we were further, you know, disappointed that uh, this court found that, uh, you know, the functions of the NPA, uh, the functions of the Minister of State Security uh, and the functions of the police can be suspended even when uh, those issues insofar as they relate to the remedial action have got no um, impact at all in the minister's application. But we've just received the judgment now. Uh, we will go back to study it and map the way forward. Uh, the judge also had some scathing uh, remarks uh, there saying that uh, some of the findings where the public protester, uh, protector rather, against Minister Gordana, you know, are, are nonsensical and that they are vague. I mean, how do you receive that as the office of the public protector? Well, that is equally disappointing, considering that we were asking this court to deal with the use of that kind of language in reference to the public protector, and that uh, the learned judge also resorted to that kind of language. But as I said, um, we will take advice upon studying the judgment and map the way forward. Is she going to move? Is she going to resign? Is the public protector going to resign? No. Why would she resign? She's not going to resign. Um, uh, of course, we are aware of uh, things that are happening around here, people applying to um, or, or, or calling upon the legislature, the, the National Assembly, to do certain things and so forth. She's not going to resign. Uh, should it happen that uh, those proceedings uh, 
come to be. Yeah. Uh, she will uh, comply with all of that and set her side of the story uh, in that process and take it from there. And that was Public Protector Advocate Busisi Mkubane's spokesperson, Opa Sikhalwe. So to help us unpack this ruling and all sorts of matters around it, we join in the line now uh, by Claude Leon Foundation Chairperson in Constitutional Governance at the University of Cape Town, Professor Pierre de Foss. Thanks so much for your time, Professor. Well, thank you for having me. So let's start here. Uh, Judge Potrell says uh, the public protector was not entitled to entertain complaints dating back more than two years. So what does the law say in this regard? Well, see, the judge didn't say exactly that. Uh, this, remember, this case is not an actual review. It is just for an interim interdict. So she had to decide, is there a prima facie case that when this goes to the court, the court will find against the public protector. So in this case, she said the problem here was there is an exception in the law that says if it's more than two years ago that the actions happened, the public protector can investigate in exceptional circumstances. But she has to say what those exceptional circumstances are in this particular case. In the report, she never does that. She says generally we will take these factors into account, but she doesn't say which of these factors are relevant. And for that reason, the court said she hasn't really given any argument why these special circumstances. That is uh, a lacunae, that is a, a gap in the report that makes it possible, probable, really, that the the review application might be successful on that ground. So what are those special grounds under which the public protector is allowed to go and investigate something beyond two years old? Uh, The public protector has made a list that she quoted in the report, which I don't have in front of me, and of course I can't remember the whole list, but it's basically things like the public interest. That is something that the EFF raised in its papers, but the court said uh, the public protector really had to do this. Um, the, the general factors about how important is it, is it practical, what are the costs, uh, will the, can the in papers still be reviewed, how important is it, that kind of thing. The problem is here, she never said why in this case is, if any of those circumstances are present. So uh, just before we get into the merits of uh, this judgment, the public protector's office, they say they're disappointed by the use of the language once again uh, by the judge as well uh, in delivering her judgment in this application. Yes, somebody, um, I've been doing some research because somebody, people, other people have to, said the same thing. The judge said, for example, that the remedial action was nonsensical. So I quickly went on the database, softly. I... The Google nonsensical, it uh, appears 381 in 381 judgments, the most important one of those, the Makate, please call me judgment. So the courts do this all the time. So that statement, I think, might not be factually correct. So let's uh, let's look at um, what this actually means, uh, the suspension of uh, this order by the public protector. Mm. What are the implications here? Because as we heard uh, Opa Sekhalwe speaking uh, for the public protector say there that um, the function of state security and the NPA are also now suspended as a result of this judgment. Mm. Talk to us about that. Yes, I think he might have missed, uh, he might have chosen the wrong words. Clearly, this uh, ruling doesn't suspend the functions of either the NPA or of the state security. What it does, it suspends the order of the public protector in this particular case to implement 
those remedial actions for the reason that the court said that the remedial action was nonsensical and vague. Um, so that doesn't mean that the NPA can't do all the other jobs they do every day, and the state security cannot do the job every day. It means that they cannot implement this until such time as the High Court has actually considered the review application and decided whether the report in its entirety should be set aside or not. So, and this, of course, relates back to the whole SARS issue, the whole rogue unit issue. And and, and I, I just find that, you know, we, we, we seem to have been completely derailed with all the narratives around this particular matter, uh, such that we we, we are seemingly struggling to find out exactly what it is that went on there. So that so-called rogue unit at SARS and the question of whether it was lawful or unlawful comes then to the center. So given the reports that we've seen in this regard, uh, there was the Kroon report, there was the KPMG report, there was the Skakane report. So... We had the Nugent Commission. Was that unit lawful or unlawful, and how do we determine that? Well, we now know that the, the, the retired Supreme Court of Appeal judge, Judge Nugent, and now also a High Court judge, has suggested that there doesn't seem to be any legal reason why one would find that the, the unit was unlawfully established. Um, and the reason was that the unit, the, the prohibition on establishing such a unit is based on, you cannot establish a unit that investigates national security matters. Um, SARS, we don't know exactly what they investigated. I wouldn't be surprised if they investigated perhaps sometimes in a manner that might not have been completely legal. But they never investigated national security matters, so the establishment of the of the unit is clearly not unlawful. The, the, I would put quite a lot of money on that if somebody wants to take a bet with me on it, and I'm sure the court is going to find it in the review application as well. But doesn't it then make it curious that when uh, during uh, the uh, Skakane report looking at, you know, those SMSs, because we forget that the Skakane report was not actually about the rogue unit. It was about yeah. Johan van Lochrenberg. And, yeah. and incidentally, this business of this covert unit came up uh, which by the way in Skakane's report he notes that was not information that was volunteered by Van Lochrenberg or anyone else. It, it mm. incidentally came out that there was this unit that was doing um, you know, this collecting of intelligence mm. covertly and he then suggested that a, a recommended that an inquiry be set up to investigate that. But this is what I find curious, uh, Professor DeFoss. Why then, in, in, in the memo um, by the minister there, it talks about, and I want to quote this, um, it goes on to say, if I can just find the right place here in this memo, it says, collecting tactical intelligence invariably means penetrating and intercepting organized criminal syndicates. And this is an activity for which SARS does not have a presently, does not presently have capacity, including the legislative mandate to manage clandestine activity. This is SARS and the minister acknowledging that they cannot do this. Mm. Yes, so um, the, I, I think from what I from what I see of the law, the minister is wrong in that in that memo. There is uh, there is clearly 
um, a legal mandate. The the SARS Act gives the SARS a huge mandate to investigate uh, um, the tax evasion and to enforce it. Um, what is m- m- far more murky is whether they can use, and I think that's not even murky, it's clear, they could not use um, uh, like eavesdropping, for example, putting microphones in somebody's office. That was that is clearly prohibited by the law. So one must distinguish between the two things: the establishment of the unit. I cannot see that anybody in the court is going to find that that was unlawful. But the methods used, I think that is where it gets really interesting because I think some of the methods used, if it was uh, eavesdropping and the like might very well have been unlawful and even criminal offence. And and it goes on to talk about that, this memo. It says, discussions are taking place with the national intelligence to supplement SARS's intelligence capability, and NIA is willing to create a ring-fenced capability provided funds are made available to cover personnel costs. So they clearly knew that they needed to bring intelligence in in order to establish this legally, uh, the eavesdropping and the covert collection of information, as you pointed out. But... At what point, then, did this go wrong? Well, we don't know, because uh, despite the public... We don't know whether it went wrong, and we don't know if it went wrong, where it went wrong, because, as the judge also said today, unfortunately, the public protective report doesn't uh, contain any evidence in that regard. It contains suggestion and conjecture, but no evidence. So we don't yet know actually exactly what happened, when it happened, uh, who was actually responsible, um, because that evidence has not come to us. So how then can we with authority say that that unit wasn't rogue in any way? Well, you, the, the rogue unit <laughs> the, uh, language is the language that is used mostly to say that the unit was established where the SARS didn't have the mandate to do it and couldn't lawfully do it, that is wrong. That is false. There is clearly not such a rogue unit. If you want to say that you mean by that, that SARS might have, the unit might have acted unlawfully, well, it might have, it might not have. We don't really know yet because we haven't seen the reports. If there are reports, they have not been made public. Well, Professor DeFoss, we can go on talking about this all day, but unfortunately, other news has to come up as well. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. And that was Professor Pierre DeFoss um, from the uh, Claude Leon Foundation. Uh, He's the chairperson in constitutional governance of that at the University of Cape Town.